Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A few things before we kick off. I want to draw your attention to the link that's at the top of the podcast right now. It's not the patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack one. It's Eventbrite for Podcasts for Palestine, which is taking place on the Sunday the 28th of January in the Sugar Club in Dublin. Uh, it's been set up in collaboration with the Tortoise Shack and the Fresh Batch podcast with Dean Scurry at the helm. Sincere thanks to Dean for doing all the running on this. I'm looking forward to a great night. Limited tickets are available now. Grab them as quickly as you can and hope to see lots of you there. There's also a ton of additional content out there on patreon.com forward slash tortoise including our podcast with Tyg Hickey on the very interesting 2023 that he has had. We did the uh, Northern Ireland Year in Review with Claire Mitchell and Stephen Baker. And as a short update from Zach Hanoya in Gaza, uh, a series of voice notes that we exchanged over the Christmas period. Uh, and that's exclusively there on patreon.com forward slash tortoise And the reason I keep saying that is because we want to keep going into 2024. And the only way that happens if some of you who are listening right now click that link and join us. Yes, the podcast is free, but that does not mean that it doesn't have a value. So if you're getting something out of it, please give something back. It is the easiest bit of activism you can do, and it makes all the difference to us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support, rating, sharing, reviewing, telling people where to find us. But do join us in 2024. We'd love to have you on board. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to PALcast. Uh, this is Yusuf Jamal talking to you from Istanbul and very glad to be joined by uh, Helena Kuban, the president of Just Word Educational from Washington DC and Tony Groves of the uh, Echo Chamber uh, podcast, our great producer joining us from uh, Dublin. Uh, today is the 29th of, of December uh, 2023 and it's uh, 4 p.m. here in, in Istanbul. As we talk, atrocities are being committed in Gaza, in my hometown. And yesterday, I was able to talk to my dad for 15 minutes for the first time in two weeks. I've been trying to reach out to my family. And uh, because of the blackout and the um, bombing that is getting closer um, every day, um, I, I was not able to reach out to, to my family. And my dad... Um, it was clear that he he was tired after three months of of bombing, but he still refuses to to leave our house. Uh, although Israeli tanks are getting closer and Israeli bombing is getting closer by the day, uh, in fact, two houses uh, very close to to, to ours uh, were bombed in in Gaza and. Uh, some 20 um, Palestinians, uh, the majority of of them were were children, were killed in these uh, two houses. And um, another Israeli shell targeted my family's uh, home. Israel is randomly shelling uh, Palestinian homes in, in, in Gaza. And thanks God, the miracle happened and the shell did not explode. Uh, imagine the situation for Palestinians who are still struggling with food and, you know, trying to get water. Um, they're being bombed and they have no place, no safe place. Even in the south, people are moving further south and there is no safe place in, in, in Gaza. Um, today we will talk about some of these atrocities. But before we, we start the conversation, uh, I would like to, to welcome Tony and, and Helena and in, invite them to say a few words. Yes, yes, Helena. So, yeah, um, Yusuf, first of all, 
I want to give you the biggest shout out because you've been amazing during this whole Israeli assault on Gaza, dealing with all the losses and the sadness and the uncertainty and the just sheer terror of what is happening to your family there and your friends and your whole community. But you've kept your head above water. You're out there as a, as an amazing spokesperson and analyst for for the Palestinians of Gaza, and it's been a real honor to work with you. This is actually the thirteenth um, episode of our Palcast podcast that we started together, and that you have really led in an amazing way. We've had, um, I said, this is number thirteen. That's not an unlucky number for us. We've done two a week until this week, but this week we had a little bit of a disruption. We're planning to go on with two per week, two episodes per week, as long as it takes and until Palestine is free, let's hope that's soon. Um, so meantime, we've had Yusuf bring on a range of guests from all around the world. And the, the tagline for the pal, this palcast podcast is one world, one struggle. And Tony maybe can speak a bit more to that because he's the one who lent us the tagline, mm. but what it's meant for our, our podcast has been that Yusuf has brought onto here the voices of Palestinians and Palestinian rights activists circling the globe from Australia, Palestine, obviously, Colombia, Japan, Malaysia, here in Washington, D.C., where I am located on the lands of the, uh, the Piscataways. But, you know, I, I just really want to thank you, Yusuf, for being the big force here and Hope that all the listeners will follow the Palcast on whatever your your favorite platform is, and we're going to go, just go on from strength to strength here. I just want okay. Obviously, the thank you, Helena, and I want to say on the one world one struggle. It was the tagline used by the families that campaigned for justice for the people who were killed and shot on Bloody Sunday. Um, innocent uh, people who were campaigning for civil rights. It was a civil rights march and that was their struggle. And and I am fortunate to know some of the family members and they were actually honoured that you guys would, would, would use it as well because, as you know, the struggle for, for um, independence, the struggle against anti-imperialism and anti-colonialism is a global struggle. And when we say when Palestine will be free, all will be free. We don't, we just, we don't just use that as a tagline. We know that that is true. Um, I, I do want to draw attention before we go on to, again, putting my producer hat on to yet again, the awful week that it's been for journalism. Uh, I think we're now over 105 journalists are now killed in, in, in this conflict. And I use that word um, with inverted commas. Uh, and with that, it is the bloodiest scenes we've ever witnessed in, in, in short terms of any sort of war in, in such a, in, in living memory. And I saw um, Secretary Anthony Blinken yesterday from the United States tweeting out his thanks to the press for the work that they've done in 2023 and how difficult it is. And I found it quite abhorrent. I don't know as many of the journalists who are dead as maybe as maybe Yusuf does, but I know several of them. I know. Did, and I did was, you read the comments, Tony? I did. And I was very I, I, I posted below it a video from. Rifat talking about uh, Rushdie, Sarge, and, um, and you know, so Rifat, who is now dead, killed by Israel, talking about his friend and, and uh, former journalist Rushdie, Sarge, who's now dead, killed by Israel, and, you know, for, for Secretary Blinken to have the temerity to, to put that out when they are arming that that 
they're calling it military aid. <laughs> military aid. And, what and a, when what? Israel is deliberately targeting many yes. of these journalists, it's not just like collateral damage. And, and, and warning them. And if they can't get them, they're killing their families. And we know this because, the, you know, but like, as I said, from a, and again, and this is the point that Western media's hypocrisy, I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but we see, rightly so, many journalists spoke out at a time when Jamal Khashoggi was, was murdered, absolutely. We see right now that there are, there are lots of journalists up in arms about a, um, a US journalist who's now 240 odd days in, in, in prison in Russia. I don't see the same outcry over journalists who are losing their lives in Gaza and I just find that kind of disheartening. So I just wanted to say at the beginning, journalism is not a crime. These these, these people are doing incredible work getting voices out from on the ground in Gaza and particularly I aim at my own media and Western media and say we need to do better. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Helena and, and Tony, uh, for these uh, remarks. As I said, I spoke to my dad and I can apply and get him out of Gaza um, subject to Israeli um, approval because Israel approves, uh, you know, any Palestinian um, who's uh, planning to, to, to leave Gaza, they have to get approval from Israel. And um, this is a known fact now for everybody, including our friend Zach Haniya, uh, an Irish Palestinian. He has been stranded in Gaza because Israel refused to, to let him uh, out of Gaza. Um, this is just a reminder to the world that Israel is still and has always been controlling Gaza. We've seen this with the blackout, with cutting, you know, internet um, services, electricity, fuel services um, from Gaza. Uh, Israel knows everything um, about Palestinians in Gaza. In fact, we had a joke in Gaza that Israeli drones, because they, um, they're they hovering around 24-7, even before um, the uh, genocide that started on October 7 uh, in Gaza, Israeli drones can tell whether Palestinians have fresh or frozen meat uh, for, for lunch. To this extent, they're watching us. The amount of surveillance is, is crazy. Uh, but again, back to, to my father, he uh, refuses to leave Gaza. Um, and, you know, he has many uh, children to, to care for. And a lot of displaced people are in, in our house. But again, there are a lot of Palestinians who, in fact, returned back to Gaza uh, when Egypt allowed them to uh, during the genocide. So Palestinians do not want to become refugees again, as I said in the past. And I repeat this again and again, even if they're targeting, there is a systematic targeting of journalists, doctors, intellectuals, and this is proven with numbers. Israel has been targeting journalists, intellectuals, um, like, like Rifat, uh, like Raid Qaddura, our friend who, who was murdered earlier. And Rifat told me that he was shocked to learn that he was, was killed. Rifat is killed uh, too now, as you said, Rushdi Saraj. And before Rushdi, it was his friend and co-founder of Ain Media, um, Yasser Murtaja, who was shot uh, during the, the Great March of Return. So Israel always sees Palestinian, you know, journalists, doctors, any Palestinian as a threat, including, you know, Palestinian children. There was a, the problem is here, Helena and, and, and Tony, is that they're bragging about killing Palestinians on, on social media because they know they will get away with it. We've seen videos of Palestinians arrested in large numbers and they were naked 
stripped naked, naked um, by, by the, the Israeli uh, forces to their pants, including children. And they're posting this on social media as a victory, you know, achievement, uh, something that they, they feel proud of. But, but, but Yusuf, I, I'm sorry to push in, but it's really important people get a, a handle on this. First of all, that's um, humiliation like that is actually a war crime. Uh, but the second thing that's important to point out is that is for a, an audience, unfortunately, domestically in Israel, who want to see this because they, they want to see part of this as this is vengeance playing out. And that's why we've seen this situation whereby, like, you know... Uh, the best coverage of this has been from the likes of Haaretz and Al Jazeera, where they're saying they're reporting, going, "Look, look, guys, they're they're not even hiding what they're doing. They're showing you. They're telling you." And then, you know, this week we had a, a young Palestinian um, English person go on the BBC and use the word genocide and get interrupted immediately and get told, oh, "Well, that word is very controversial. We'd rather you didn't use that word." So it's crazy. Yeah, I think when they're doing this bragging. Um, it also has what they call in Israel in very sterile terms, a deterrent intention. They want to deter Palestinians from ever raising their heads or raising their hands. And they want to say, you, if you do this, you will be humiliated. How could you bear to be stripped to your underpants and displayed for the whole world? So I think Tony's right. It plays to their domestic audience. It also plays to a a, a way that they think of, you know, there there was this guy called Raphael Patai who who wrote a book called The Arab Mind, which said, you know, this is how you manipulate Arabs. And so, I mean, I think on October 7th, they did lose a lot of what they considered to be their deterrent power, because suddenly their own borders were not inviolate. Suddenly, Palestinians, who many of whose families came from those lands around Gaza, were able to breach the wall and go back to their ancestral lands. I mean, that was very, very threatening for the Israeli Zionist settler colonial enterprise. So, I mean, it, these, these humiliations... And they brag about them. They openly brag about them. And I don't know if you guys have seen Max Blumenthal put together kind of like a nine-minute um, video bringing together a lot of these um, bragging videos that the Israelis have been posting on social media. Um, that's that's horrible and, and true. As a Palestinian, I'm not surprised. In fact, there is a Telegram channel, an Israeli Telegram channel, where they post videos and pictures to boost uh, the morals of, of Israelis, including videos and pictures from Gaza. They were, you've seen Israeli soldiers, um, you know, uh, destroying Palestinian houses uh, and, you know, using this destruction and this action to celebrate their daughter's birthdays or friends who were killed earlier. Um, and we've seen some some of the soldiers. In fact, there was a soldier that was killed yesterday in Gaza. There was a video of him um, destroying a Palestinian house uh, that was stuffed with uh, dynamites and and explosions, uh, explosives. Sorry, and uh, sending you know this action and honoring his friend who was killed in in, in Gaza before. Um, and I've seen a video, another video of an Israeli soldier. Uh, I think it was on TikTok too. He said, 
uh, I've been looking for babies. I couldn't find Palestinian babies to kill, but I found a 12-year-old Palestinian uh, girl and I killed her. And so they're not shying away. And I think the reason they're not shying away is because they know they will get away with it. There's there's no other explanation. Um, they have always acted with impunity. Uh, and that's why they feel safe. Um, the ICC will not get them. When they travel to, to Europe and the United States, there will be no legal action against them. And they got used to it. It's been 75 years. They're doing the same thing to Palestinians. And we talk about deterrence, Helena. And I don't think this is how Palestinians get deterred because it did not work in 1948. It's been going on for 75 years. There are tens of thousands of Palestinians who were killed and injured almost 1 million Palestinians who, who were arrested by Israel since 1967, and tens of thousands of houses that were leveled to the ground by Israel. Did this deter, deter the Palestinians? The answer is no. And it's not going to work. The only way is to give Palestinians um, their, their rights. After three months of dropping bombs on, on Palestinians, some of which is 2,000 pounds, Palestinians are still in Gaza. If this happened in another country, I think the population of this country, the majority of, of people would leave. But again, it's, it's, it's the determination of the Palestinian people despite um, these, uh, these uh, atrocities. Um, Tony, uh, do, do you recall anything from Irish history did it work? Did atrocities work against you guys? This is just, this is the case though, is that when you think about it now. So we're entering a very dark phase in our, our legacy now. We're looking back and the, the British government are imposing this legacies bill, which means that people who committed these atrocities, be them on either side of the, of the, of the partitionist divide or sectarian divide, including British soldiers, cannot be prosecuted. Now, they cannot do that. And the Irish state is finally stepping up and is going to, going to take the British government to the Court of, the European Rights, Court of Human Rights, the EHCORJ. Sorry, folks. I'm, I'm mixing up my, my, uh, my, my acronyms. But nonetheless, the fear there is, as Yusuf, as you put it, it, of course, violence didn't work. Of course, violence never actually, um, begat anything. And actually, and I want to put this very clearly because what October 7th, the events of October 7th, the, the declaring of, declaration of war and the murdering of now 21,000 Palestinians doesn't avenge the, the, the atrocities of October 7th or whatever Hamas done. It, it actually besmirches the memory of the people who are mourning and they've weaponized this. And I, I think... And Helen, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Aaron Dahi Roy who talked about how um, September 11th in, in America was the first commodification and commercialization of people's grief into becoming be, beginning this war on terror. And this is the same now. This is a commercial uh, commercialization and a commodification of the people who died on October 7th and using that not to honor the people who were killed. And, and to, to play it out. And we know from an Irish perspective over the decades, the decades, the long decades of what we now euphemistically call the Troubles, that it led nowhere but to further bloodshed, re recrimination, and the cycle was wash, rinse, repeat. 
and it never got us anywhere closer. As I said to you before on this podcast, we're 25 years post Good Friday Agreement. No, Ireland is still not still not um, united. But the, but the absence, you know, peace doesn't mean just the absence of war. But in the absence of war, we have uh, abilities to step forward. So no, I don't think atrocities have worked, and I and it worries me now. As you said, the ICC, they not only they not will they get away with it. You've it it Mar Ben, ben Gavir running around and saying do much do what you want in in the West Bank, and I'll make sure you don't get prosecuted for it. And that's just the settlers. So yeah, I, um, I do worry though. Finally, finally going back to what I what I was saying about the commercialization of this now i do believe that that is why they're selling it in domestically in israel even if they have i believe started to lose the war in terms of the pr battle even in the us helena there's been a change in some of the coverage you know some of it's come a little bit more late to the party that it's gone too far but i do think that's that's my take on it that this is the worst we've seen yeah i i think also you're right tony that there's been a rise in understanding of the Palestinian point of view and the representation of Palestinian views here in the Western media in the United States. Nowhere near enough. And we still have the, as you described it, the commodification of uh, the grief of the people from October 7th. But one thing I'm seeing also is that the support for the war in Israel is is very rocky, you know, because the families of the hostages are saying, you know, they're getting organized and they're saying that that more war is not going to free our hostages. And that's what they're laser focused on. And they've been organizing large um, demonstrations and marches. And there's a lot of division inside Israel. So the only thing, and of course, there is Netanyahu's ongoing political woes, you know. So the only thing that he and his cabinet members can agree on is to continue the war. That That's, you know, <laughs> it's it's like they're zombie war fighters and they are causing such grief and such destruction for for Palestinians. But hey, Yusuf, they did apologize, or they didn't exactly apologize, but they said that one or two of the bombs were inappropriately used. How does that make you feel? Wow, we're very thankful. Um, <laughs> and, and this particular airstrike that killed um, some 80 Palestinians, maybe 100, we lost count, we cannot even count our dead, uh, my friend's house was was also demolished. And thanks God, they were not inside the house. They evacuated the area. And that's where my sister also lives. It's very close by. And the bombing has been going on uh, nonstop for the past week. Um, and at the end of the day, we have an Israeli who comes to wants to sound moral and ethical, telling us that, Wow, sorry, oops, we used a large bomb. We should have used a smaller one to kill you guys. As if killing 20,000 Palestinians, at least, uh, let alone those under the the rubble, we have 21,000 Palestinians killed so far, counted, um, was fine. Like using smaller bombs, although Israel used a lot of these large bombs in many different places, this was not the only one. Remember Jabalia, remember the Baptist Hospital. Um, you know, the destruction of Gaza City did not happen using small bombs, but this is another issue. And then they tell us, you know, sorry, you know, it was just a mistake. Uh, we should have used a smaller bomb to kill you guys. I, I, I don't they think, want I us don't, to, be, to be thankful. I don't think they actually said sorry. They said 
they said, oops, it was a mistake. Oops, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me of two things. And uh, one is what Rifat said about this earlier in one of his lectures and it's on YouTube. I retweeted this recently. He says, remember when Israel like kills 50 Palestinians and they say and say, oops, it was a mistake so that they sound moral. We have a long history, you know, after 75 years under occupation, we know our occupiers very well and did, how did, they... Haven't we, have we seen them sign the missiles that they're firing with, with love from Israel? Haven't we seen yeah. the, the Israeli president in the last few days signing missiles that were heading heading off to be used? So don't give me your crocodile tears about an inappropriate weapon when you're actually autographing, autographing the weapons that you're using. It's, um, you know, it's beyond... Uh, uh, credulity that you that you want that you want us to accept that somehow that these you know that you feel some sort of um, regret for for using an inappropriate munition was the uh, phrase actually actually in uh, one of Mac, the uh, little videos in Max Blumenthal's thing on Grey Zone that I I think people should go and look at there there's like um, an Israeli woman soldier probably from the Ethiopian Jewish community and she has dreadlocks and she's got like her big uh, helmet on her head and she's in front of a great big um, gun setup and she's like putting the uh, the missile in and firing it and holding her hands over her ears and counting like one, two, three, go, one, two, three, go. And it's all set to music and it's like a music video. And it's, it's obscene. It's totally obscene. This use of, you know, a female black Jewish soldier to try to sell the war because they set it to a music video. I mean, it's just outrageous. Yeah. You know, we're dealing with a bunch of psychopaths. It's 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 like that, as simple as that. Uh, in fact, an Israeli soldier who just returned back from Gaza uh, woke up from a nightmare and opened fire on on his friends, injuring some of them in 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 Asqalan a couple of uh, days uh, ago. And um, you know, there are a lot of there are estimations that twenty thousand Israeli forces will need uh, psychological support after the war. Uh, what about Palestinians who, who who got killed, who lost everything? No one talks about them and the psychological. Everyone in Gaza now needs psychological support. Um, but to, to go back to to this, you know, narrative that makes us feel like they're human, they're like, you know, ethical and moral. It reminds me of what Ghassan Kanafani, a Palestinian novelist who was also killed in Lebanon in 1972, right? Helena, right. In, 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 by Israel, along with his niece, he says, uh, they steal your bread, then give you a piece and ask you to be thankful. This is like Israel giving us big bombs and small bombs. And if we choose the small bombs, we're cool and we should be thankful. But we're not thankful to, to our occupiers destroying our lives for 75 uh, years now. And, you know, it was not only the Maghazi uh, uh, refugee camp massacre. Um, it was also Jabalia. It was also Gaza. It was also Rafah and Khan Yunis, and it's happening every day. Israel is bombing today in my refugee camp. They bombed a water tank that provides water to two people, and they killed a Palestinian. Why would you bomb a water tank, a car that has water tanks? Um, it's just like you know, we we we. Uh, there is no other explanation. But then, from time to time, you have these. 
Israeli spokespeople, especially those who speak uh, to, to Western media, they try to, you know, we're good. You know, we're doing a good job. Sometimes we make mistakes. We're human beings yeah. after Oops, all. Oops, right? So, um, Oops. I think actually up at the top of the podcast, Yusuf failed to mention that today is Jan- uh, December 29th. And that to me is important. It, we're coming to the end of the year, but also exactly one week ago on December 22nd was when the Security Council adopted this extremely weak, diluted resolution that I think obviously the um, American delegates there worked super hard to get a resolution that they wouldn't have to veto. So they didn't adopt this resolution, but they let it go forward. And the Israelis saw that they can do whatever they want and the Americans will have their back. So, you know, I think right after January 22nd, they escalated their use of violence against communities, especially civilian gatherings in Gaza. And we who are in the West, especially we who are in the United States of America, I have to say, take a huge responsibility for this because it was our elected, well, not elected, but, you know, um, our ambassador at the UN and our Joe Biden administration that allowed this escalation to go ahead. And I think that needs to be noted. However, there is some good news, relatively good news politically from Beirut this week. Just a couple of days ago, there was a meeting in Beirut of the leaders of all the resistance factions. So that included both the um, more, what you say, Islamist factions, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and also the main historic secular um, Palestinian liberation movements, the PFLP, the DFLP, that's the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine, and also the PFLPGC. So these five organizations met in Beirut, and they came out with a very clear, unified statement calling for a ceasefire, saying there will be no further release of hostages until there is an an all-over ceasefire, and a very developed, well-developed political program. So I urge listeners to go, there's a good description of this at Palestine Chronicle or, you know, just Google like uh, PFLP Beirut and you will get a lot of uh, good information about this political program. So to me, this, and they're calling for a, a, re- a revived Palestinian national leadership, which is something that I've been very concerned about. So there's a lot of activity, good activity at the political level. And even though the story inside Gaza continues generally to be extremely sad, but also people, the resistance is continuing in Gaza. Like if people want to think about like the heroism of the French resistance against the Nazis in World War II, that's how I think we should think of the the Palestinian resistance against the occupying Israeli forces in 2023 and 2024. Just um, very quickly on those points, though, Yusuf, if you don't mind, so there's over 500 IDF soldiers now confirmed have been killed. 
um, since they've entered uh, since they've entered Gaza. Which you know, I I mourn every life. I want to be completely honest with you, but it's completely like these are just people. As uh, I think it was uh, T. Lawrence said, throwing lives into the fire for other men's gain. You know, and this is this is the the worst part of it. The second thing is obviously. The impunity that they've they've been acting within in Gaza has been spread even more so now when we've seen it in Ramallah, where they've gone in and caused absolute chaos and gone into money transfer systems. Now people might think that this might sound like a you know oh they're they're hitting Western unions or they're hitting you know the the money exchanges. It's these are crucial remittances make up a big bulk of the actual economy. Okay, foreign remittances are how a lot of people, when people who have emigrated sent money home, Irish people understand this. We always got money from abroad. That was how, you know, there would a dad who couldn't get work in, would go off and work in building sites in New York or in London, and he would send money home. Remittances helped build our economy here. We have to understand that, but what they've said is that these remittances are being used to fund Hamas, because everything is Hamas, whether it's a, a six-year-old child who who's walking in the street, or a donkey whose head was cut off and pulled but on a post, they say, that donkey must have been in Hamas, by the way. It was a mule for Hamas. I don't know. Everything is fucking Hamas. Excuse my language, but I'm sick of hearing it. And um, So I just find on those things like that... And then, oh, one really quick point. The Houthi rebels that have continued to create havoc in, in the Red Sea and create havoc for this. Another, another media criticism is the phrase has now slipped in. The Iran-backed Houthi rebels... I think this is also hilarious because as if they, as if people could not stand up without their own and we never would refer in a million years if we were saying, you know, to, to the same, on the same in the Western, we would never say the Saudi-backed. We would never say that because they're our allies in certain ways. But we have to say the Iran-backed because it creates, it creates that sort of distance. So just be careful when you're listening to the media and you're watching the telly. Watch those, watch for those words, folks, because they're, they're designed to create that, that, that little bit of divisiveness and, and just be very careful because it's started to creep in again. Sorry, Yusuf, I know you wanted to talk. I interrupted you. Yeah, you, you mentioned Rushdie Sarraj, um, at the beginning of the podcast today and his father, Yahya Sarraj, is the mayor of Gaza City and he was appointed by the Hamas authorities in, in Gaza. And he wrote a an opinion article for the Washington Post um, that was finally published recently. In fact, um, Rifat has helped with with this article, and he wanted to see um, to see it published. And once it was published, there was this outrage by Zionist groups on on social media and elsewhere attacking the Washington Post, which I think did a um, fairly good job this time um, on Gaza publishing some voices from Gaza and like their coverage of what's happening there. And I, I just do not understand the outrage. They're saying, oh, he's appointed by Hamas. That was like the line. So what? Like he's a university professor and I think Hamas wanted someone who doesn't have like a political affiliation to run the, the um, city because, you know, because of political divisions and all of that. So he would be successful in, in his job and everyone would be supporting him. And in fact, he did a very good job. He started working on the uh, seafront of, of Gaza City. He uh, did some renovation work of um, landmarks in, in, in Gaza. He provided businesses for, for um, you know, disabled people, women, um, some of them were, you know, selling stuff as, you know, they had their, uh, 
shacks there as as vendors and all of this is now destroyed by israel but i just do not understand why you know the outrage when a mayor is talking about you know the destruction of the city how is this controversial or outrageous to them helena <laughs> i mean it's just all so politicized and it's a question of building up the fear you know be afraid be very afraid hamas is everywhere and and uh, you know as tony said even even in the head of this donkey that they cut off in was it in jerusalem or in bethlehem so you know they want to they want to make everybody who doesn't agree 100% with the zionist storyline to accuse us all of being you know hamas sympathizers pro hamas you know they they want to delegitimize our voices and you know for me this is not a new thing honestly i mean back in the 1970s when i published my book on the plo it was roundly criticized in the washington post by daniel pipes who's a well-known zionist ideologue and you know he did everything he could to delegitimize the fact that i who was a journalist for the christian science monitor had published a very factual well-researched book on the plo but in those days you couldn't even talk about the plo without being accused of being a terrorist sympathizer you know so this is like just more of the same of course they managed to um completely defang the plo through oslo and they brought Yasser Arafat who was a very vain and like self-important guy and they brought him to the white house and they like made him feel important and then since then the plo has been like increasingly become a tool of the american americans and israelis now i think actually with this beirut declaration that i talked about a little bit before the resistance factions have a have a plan to reseize control of the plo so that it will be a palestinian liberation organization no longer just you know um a kind of a an israeli tool in the west bank just just one quick thing on that that demonization and how it begins it just it's designed we've seen it all along you know so i do you remember um famously i think it was uh Hertz and um, Robert Fisk were on the radio in New York uh, the day after the 9-11 bombings and Robert Fisk dared to ask the question why and immediately he was seen to be pro-Al-Qaeda and that was the end of the conversation because he he asked why would this, why did this atrocity take place and became this, well then you're anti-American and very much like this if we say if you're anti-Israel or you're anti-Semitic or you're, you know, there's there's a whole series online currently, you might be an anti-Semite it's this, you know, you know, if you're asking this question, you might be an anti-Semite and we see celebrities queuing up for it and that's designed to actually say we can't have that conversation because it just shuts it down, but what's more dangerous about it, when you think about it from the wider perspective say you are an Israeli citizen who has concerns about Netanyahu's ju- judicial capture you know his way he wants to take over their democracy you could then be seen to be anti-israeli in the same way as tony groves is anti-israeli in dublin who's questioning what's happening and because there's only one version of it you ha- you c- you're either with this version or you're not and i think that we people have to be very mindful when, when you walk into that you know it's, it goes back to was it 
famously George Bush, you're either with us or you're against us. And this is the same kind of, um, going back to the weaponization of October 7th and the, the commodification of it, you either, you either, you either, as we would say in Ireland, you either drink the soup or you go hungry. And um, and we're not big soup drinkers in Ireland, right? Um, <laughs> um, the, my, our British listeners will understand exactly what I mean by that. But um, but my but the point on that, I just find that quite quite scary. That that uh, you know everybody has Hamas, so therefore their opinion isn't valid. You know they 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 can't. Let's let's not even hear them out. Let's not debate them because they must be Hamas. And, um, you know, yeah, I think, I think it's really encouraging and I will actually, I'll find the link for the, for the chat that went on in Beirut and try and put, add it to the podcast notes so people can have a listen to how other groups are coming together. I think that's really important to hear that, Helena. So I appreciate that. But also again, come finally back to Yusuf, the atrocities while we're talking continue to happen every hour on the hour. There's something, there's more bad news. Thank you, um, both uh, Tony and, and Helena. In fact, this reminds me, and I will close on this, uh, of our friend Mas'ab Abu Toha when he was kidnapped by the Israelis uh, when he was moving from the north of Gaza to the south as he was instructed to do by the American embassy uh, because he has an American son. To get him out of Gaza, he was arrested and and the interrogators accused him of, of you know, having links to, to Hamas. So this is, uh, you know, and then they said, Ops, same thing, like the next day, because of the pressure, because he's a published poet and author with the New Yorker and New York Times and Washington Post and all of that. Um, there were calls and he was released and they said sorry there was a mistake here yeah but the thousands of people other people who were with him were not released and he yes. he made that point he noted that point yeah, so you know course. that that's so, how you how you use the kind of oops excuse to actually cover up for for the far worse things that are going on yeah oops guys i think we're running out of time we have to, to close <laughs> now and thank you very much and this is just a reminder from tony to subscribe to to our podcast to make sure that it stays free um we do not want to get capitalists um you know in, involved and we want to make this podcast free uh, to, to, to everyone thank you very much and tony and then helena and uh, a final uh, remark is uh, that uh, we're very thankful to our sponsors, the Hashim Sani Center for, for Palestine Studies at the University of Malaya in Malaysia for uh, sponsoring um, this podcast. I'm also thankful to the uh, Just Word uh, Educational, uh, uh, Helena Coben and Tony Groves of the Eco Champer um, podcast for, for making um, this uh, episode and other episodes possible, reaching out to, to our audience on Gaza and, and explaining what is going on, uh, the genocide taking place against Palestinians 75 years after uh, Nakba. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to you again next week. One world, one struggle, people. <laughs> <laughs>